Hello and welcome to a Christmassy ooh, diminishing <laughs> returns. That's Halloween. <laughs> I've only got I've only got so many noises that I can do. Now. <laughs> uh, that is ho, of course. Ho, ho. <laughs> that is of course uh, everybody's least favorite Grinchy Grinchy Poo Alan Turing. Bah humbug. <laughs> And, that's that uh, Scrooge, not the Grinch. <laughs> and also joining us this week is the one, the only, Mr. Calvin M. Dyson. Uh, do I not get a comparison to anything? Uh, I, I thought you were going to be like the George Bailey of the um, <laughs> the guy in the the guy who drives the limo in Die Hard of Diminishing Returns. <laughs> Calvin <laughs> M. Dyson. Okay, yeah, I'll t- I'll take that. What's his Hello? name? Uh, Argyle. Argyle, that's it. Brilliant. Yep, so, that's me. And who are you? Oh, and I'm I'm Sol, and I I'm very much the uh, I'm very much the the John McClane of this piece. The, uh, <laughs> no, you're the you're the coked up annoying guy. <laughs> yeah, shot in the face like halfway through, right? So we're doing Die Hard. Why are we doing Die Hard? I'm really resentful about this decision. I don't like that we're contributing towards this whole <laughs> just culture of people making a big deal out of Die Hard mm. being a Christmas film. I saw an advert on Twitter today, um, one of those paid promotion things where Sky are like promoting their Christmas movie channel with Die Hard. And it's like, oh, Die Hard. And that's when you know it's not cool anymore, when corporations of well, yeah. you know... it's It's never been... Like... I, I, I don't know why it's like I'm. I'm sort of in agreement with you. I hate that it's become a controversial thing. Mm. Like as far as I was concerned, Die Hard was just a Christmas film, and that was the end of it, and no one took any issue with that. And like a few mm. years ago, people started making a big thing out of Die Hard's a Christmas film. No, it's not a Christmas film. Me, 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 me. And it's mm. like, well, obviously it is. Stop being a prick. Let's move on with our lives and just enjoy or, the Christmas films. Obviously, like. it's not. <sighs> This, this is what I mean. I knew someone was going to do it. No, right, okay. Let's, I was going to pretend that I cared, but I don't. Uh, but okay, I guess it's down to the definition of what is a Christmas film. This is a film say, that is set at Christmas. Arbitrary, that yeah. is undoubted. I do think Die Hard is far, far more of a Christmas film than many things that are often... You know, we, we just did a thing at work where all the different departments had to decorate their areas in in the theme of different films <sighs> now die hard was obviously amongst them and they decorate they had it was great they had a uh, a dead body on a chair with now i have a machine gun to ho 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 written on it and stuff like that another department got frozen now if we're going to kick off about what isn't isn't a christmas film mm. like can we please eliminate that shit it's a film with snow in it that's not a Christmas film in any regard. No, it's not. At least Die Hard has Christmas elements but, in it. But anyway, mm. like, I, I think Die Hard is as much a Christmas film as any like proper Christmas film. It's about Christmas as much as anything. It's got mm. like family as a strong running theme. Like, love for one another, blah, 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 blah. It's about this guy trying to, you know, reconcile with his estranged wife and ultimately his family. It's about women um, knowing Christmas, their place the and giving up their job. And, and Christmas and... permeates through the whole thing. It's far more than just, you know, it happens to be set at Christmas. 
No, um, I don't think so. It, it factors into the plot. It's a work <laughs> Christmas party. It's it's yeah, but like, the okay. terrorists choose so Christmas let's... because they know it's going to be people are off their guard. You're, that's complete speculation <laughs> on your part. They <laughs> they never say that. If you took Christmas out of this film and it's set, at, you know, a, a big yeah. le- a works party and he's coming over to visit his his family or whatever for just because he hasn't seen them it would make no difference to the actual film the fact that it's christmas is a plot device it's not yeah but the fact that it's, it's christmas is a plot is device a... in the nightmare before christmas or in the grinch who stole christmas it's just a macguffin for that character to like do a you know rob a town or or have a midlife crisis or what have you it, it's always just like a plot device if it's used at all similar to black christmas it's an excuse to get the sorority girls out of the house and <laughs> exactly. Mm. I don't. I don't think you can really, short of making the story of Christ. I don't think you. I'm not. I, I don't think I would say Black Christmas well, is. What? A Christmas See, then that, that's yeah. just Alan being a, a knob. <laughs> <laughs> that's what this comes down to. See, I don't. Gotta have, okay, to be a Christmas film, it's got to have a Santa. There, right. Well, there is a Santa in this film. <laughs> okay. I'm, 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 Trading places is a Christmas. Film. Oh, don't even stop it now, Alan. <laughs> it's like it's barely even set at Christmas, is it? Trading places, from what I remember, it's like one. He, well, he get, he's wandering like around. Twenty in minutes Santa set suit. at Christmas. Yeah. Well, what do you want? Fuck's sake! What Alan's doing okay. is very irritating. But there's yeah. something even more irritating about these diehard Christmas people, and it's the people who bait people into <laughs> having a conversation about it, just so that they can well know it. And we went to university with a few, and I bet there are a few listening to this episode right now. <laughs> these people are everywhere, where it's like they just bring up out of nowhere, "Oh, what's your favorite Christmas film?" And you're like, "Oh, it's a Wonderful Life" or something like that. And they're like, "Oh, my favorite Christmas film is Die Hard," and they just because I'm so cool and alternative. Exactly. Exactly, and they're just waiting for that uninformed person to be like, oh, that's not a Christmas film, you know, because a lot of people would probably forget that this is even set at Christmas. It's not to a big be part fair, of it, really. well, I don't know about that. To be fair, Calvin, don't get too high and mighty, because I remember going to watch Toy Story in 3D at the cinema with you in about 2009 or two, early 2010. <laughs> I don't know where this is going. And you wrote on Facebook a status... Uh, I'm so excited, so looking forward to seeing Toy Story 3D later on. And you said to me, oh, I've put a status on Facebook about Toy Story 3D, and I can't wait, because I know a lot of people are going to go, oh, the new Toy Story, Toy Story 3. Oh, how is it? And I'll get to go, no, you idiot, Toy Story 3D, the first one in 3D, you idiot. I think I was probably <laughs> making fun of that. I think it was an ironic <laughs> thing that I was doing. Well, uh, I'm not convinced because someone did take your bait and you did tell them what was what. You did give them the business, so. <laughs> anyway, well, we, I mean. We all grow and learn. Anyway, Die Hard is returning to cinemas in um, 11 days' time as of recording this. So just in, I think Christmas Eve Eve is when it is. Oh, just to be clear, we're, in traditional sense, we are recording this Christmas special in August. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's coming out in sort of 27th of August. Can um, you believe this I, heat wave? I, I've, uh, <laughs> I've booked myself a ticket for it, so I haven't bothered re-watching the film. Because um, oh, I didn't want to spoil, because I can only watch it like once a year. I don't want to, twice yeah. a year is a bit much. Because mm. this is a film I've watched far, far, far more than many. 
because um, yeah. it, it has become a little tradition for me, or at least it did hmm. for a while until I kind of got sick of the whole Die Hard on Christmas controversy and didn't bother with it quite so much. But hmm. anyway, my point is I've I've got it on in the background now with the volume down. I started it when we <laughs> we started recording. And uh, John McClane's just turned up to uh, Nakatomi Plaza. He's he's oh. putting the name in on the computer. Oh, oh, she's not got her name down as McClane. Hey, do you know what her name is, though? De Janeiro or something? Janeiro? Holly? Oh, oh, Christmas. Christmas, eh? Hey, yeah. Mm. I mean, put put it this way, just going quickly back to the debate. Um, People who made the film have started weighing in recently. And it was it made a load of headlines because Bruce Willis weighed in and said Die Hard isn't a Christmas film. Uh, but the writer of the film, whose name I, I forget, uh, weighed in and said, no, it is a Christmas film. And if anyone has ever listened to Bruce Willis talk about the Die Hard franchise or has seen A Good Day to Die Hard, that <clears> should <throat> tell you everything you need to know about Bruce Willis's grasp on, well, everything <laughs> to do with Die Hard and how much you should value his opinions on this sort of thing. Um, mm. On the other hand, you have the writer of one of the the sort of best examples of a Hollywood screenplay ever written. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I know whose side I'm on, put it that way. Well, I know whose name you can remember. So maybe that says a lot <laughs> what does about it? your loyalty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, celebrities talks. <laughs> All right. But my... my, my uh... I mean, I don't care, basically. <laughs> but, but yeah, I don't, I don't find it very Christmassy. Like, that's my take on it. I think if if you haven't seen this film for a couple of years, you forget that it's at Christmas. I don't think it's because it's not particularly relevant. I don't know. I, I, um, I, what do you mean Christmassy, though? I mean... Like Christmas paraphernalia, basically. Because they occasionally, like, he's singing, uh, you know, or he's humming a... Uh, carol or, or something and mm. yeah it's like a christmas party but none of it is like relevant to the overall plot you know it's like mm. it's like halloween they've got a, they've got a film and they've gone oh shall we say it at halloween yeah all right but mm. I, again like, i think that is anyway. I, that is what the vast majority of christmas films are like i say short of making the story of christ yeah, i mean probably film. probably they are yeah and I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't view Christmas as a genre being really anything more than superficial, because because mm. Christmas itself is completely arbitrary and superficial and doesn't really mean anything. So, <laughs> you know, when's this episode going up again? The twenty third, yeah, uh, December. <laughs> yeah, I'll be out the... in the cinema watching Die Hard. It's gonna be great. Thirtieth yeah. anniversary re-release. Now the big argument people well, it always wasn't make, released at Christmas, I was about to say the big argument people always um, no. make in favour of this not being a Christmas film is that it was released in the summer. But, to which no. I say, but when was Jesus really born? Eh? Yeah, you, you know what else was released in the August. summer and not Christmas? Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, one of the the classic Christmas films. Hmm. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, see, now that definitely is a Christmas film. Yeah. A fantastic one. I'm talking <laughs> about the original here Santa. from the 30s, the good one. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty okay. sure the remake was released around Christmas as a marketing thing. So I just said the 30s, I meant mm. 1947. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the same, isn't it? Yeah. Black and white days. <laughs> in fact, they, they released it in summer and the trailer like basically couldn't give away anything to do with the film. Calvin, have you ever seen hmm. the trailer for that film? I haven't. It is so up your street. It is really? the most... You, like, honestly, I remember thinking of you when I watched it. it oh. It's just a... 
it's like the producer of the studio or something walking around um, Universal Pictures or whatever studio lot it is that made the film and just sort of going, Oh, nice. Oh, I, I hear there's this wonderful new film out soon called Miracle on 34th Street. Why, yes, there is. It's fantastic. Well, what's it about? Well, we ain't going to tell you. You're going to go Matt see Stone it. Stone and Trey Parker. <laughs> <laughs> Hard work, it's no good. But what do you make a trailer for? To give the public an idea of what kind of a picture to expect. The boss, we hilarious, romantic, tender, exciting. Make up your minds. It can't be all of those things. Mr. Shape, if you'd look at the picture. I don't have to look at the picture. I know you're wrong. You've got to decide what kind of a picture this is. Make up your minds. Now go to work and fix it up. Hey, Rex. How are you? Ed, how are you? Good to see you. How's the ghost of Mrs. Muir? It's pretty good, I think. How's New York? Fine. Say, Rex, have you seen Miracle on 34th Street? Yes, or the preview. I've never heard laughs like it in the theater before. Oh, is that right? I don't miss it. I was crazy about it. You really think we've got something, huh? I don't know whether the women will like it, but it's a great man's picture. Well, it's nice to see you, Ed. Got to get back to work. Yeah. See you later. Oh, I'm sorry. Ann Baxter, good to see you. How are you? I haven't seen you since the Academy Awards. Congratulations on winning that Oscar. Thanks, Ed, very much. Oh, well, say, Ann. Yeah. Have you seen Miracle on 34th Street? Have I? Ed, it's wonderful. Yeah, I understand. It's a pretty good comedy. Comedy? Well, I suppose that's true. I had a million laughs, but the thing that got me were, were the tears in between. So tender and charming and warm. I don't know how the men are going to like it. It's a great woman's picture. Is that so? You go and see it. That is the greatest picture I have ever made. And I've got the angle on the trailer. We've got to get across to the public that that picture has everything. Why, it's hilarious. It's romantic. It's tender. It's charming. It's delightful. It's exciting. And it's groovy. Yes, yes, Mr. Schaefer. Now, I'll tell you what we do. It reminded me of those old Alfred Hitchcock trailers where he didn't want to give anything away and he just talk to the yeah. camera for two minutes it's very odd so how it so obviously you've seen it before alan had you have i seen die hard before this is under the second time i'd me? seen it so i'm just curious <laughs> funnily enough when i watched it this time and it's the first time I, I haven't seen it for a while but this is the first time i've experienced this watching this film as far as i can remember mm. i did sort of think I've watched this too much. Like <laughs> oh. it's, it's it's kind of it lost some of its luster for me because I've just I was too familiar yeah, with it. I just yeah. couldn't I couldn't get into it as much as I have in the past. Like you couldn't, I couldn't just lose myself in it. Hmm. It was a bit like oh I've got to watch this again. Uh, yeah, well you know that's I mean? I, it was a bit of a. I did this as an annual tradition for maybe five years on on the trot and hmm. loved it. But then I kind of reached the point where it's like yeah I'm start, I'm too familiar with this now and. I had the hmm. exact same thing, so I haven't watched it in a while. I see we're we're not like you, Calvin. We can't. I know you have like a standing appointment with all your favorite films, like once a year. Once uh, yes, I'll be months. doing Black Christmas this weekend. Uh, Nightmare <laughs> Before Christmas, Gremlins. I don't even mean your Christmas films, so necessarily. Oh. You, you you're kind of you always say like, oh Moonraker. Yes, no, I watch this one twice a year, and oh, <laughs> it, it's it's like going to the dentist. You've just got it scheduled in. Mm. <laughs> 
Yeah. But this was yeah, this was probably the second time I've seen this film. The first time was about probably about fifteen years ago, something like that. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, so get quite a fresh perspective on it. Then. I suppose yeah. so. Yeah, be, yeah. It, it's going to be interesting for people listening to this after the edit because it's going to truncate the running order of the film as I'm sort of talking about stuff that I'm watching whilst we're talking about it. But uh, <laughs> the terrorists have just uh, come into reception. Oh. The terrorists are. Are taking over the building that's just started. Well, it does have a good pace to mm. start the movie. Uh, the action gets going pretty quickly, and it's very economical. So you praised the uh, screenwriting mm. earlier on, and I, yeah, I don't think that can be faltered. Really, it's incredibly well constructed. Mm. Uh, I mean, the first shot is what? What is it? The guy says to Bruce Willis about like curling up his toes or something, and you want to know the secret to surviving air travel? After you get where you're going, take off your shoes and your socks, then you walk around on the rug barefoot and make fists with your toes. Fists with your toes? <laughs> I know, I know, it sounds crazy. Trust me, I've been doing it for nine years. Yes, sir, better than a shower and a hot cup of coffee. <laughs> okay. So obviously that's good setup that's going to come back later on. Yeah. Um, 80s screenplays are really good at that. Like Back to the Future obviously did a lot of that. But, um, um, the thing about that is that obviously the, the, the only purpose of that is to get him barefoot for later on. Um, but it is just not related to anything. <laughs> like It's just like... Oh, here's some little thing that I'm going to drop in. It's like when Q turns up with a gadget. Well, like, it, oh, this might a little come in useful bit. later. It, it, no, I think <laughs> I think it plays quite well. Yeah, I, I think I, it comes across naturally as just a guy talking. And, so I think they get away with it. I, I get yeah. what you're saying. I think there's more to it than just the complete, you know, just set up and pay off. I think that, like, it it sets up John McClane as someone who's not a fan of traveling, someone who isn't happy that he has to be traveling this hmm. instance. He, he's, you know, he's a. Uh, what do you call it? Somebody likes to stay at home. So he's NYPD, and he's like, "For fuck's sake, I got to go to LA. Fuck this shit." And they're, <laughs> they're setting that up that he's not happy with it. Um, so then they're he's making happy him more of, of an underdog because he's barefoot the whole time, and it's 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 just a nice little you know endearing characteristic that he has to put up with. And then it gives the film an element of personality as well that kind of runs through it. So I I, I get what mm. you're saying, but I think there's slightly more to it than just that. So have either of you seen a film called The Detective, Frank Sinatra, 1960s? Because this is no. part of my limited research um, mm-hmm. of this uh, film was to do with that. Because apparently that film was adapted from, like, Die Hard is based on a book. Or, it, or maybe it was, no, it was the previous was... book, wasn't it? Oh, it was yeah. The, so a book was written about this detective. John uh, is making balls the... with his feet on the carpet. And smiling. <laughs> so they, yeah. So uh, this book was made about this detective uh, on a case, and they made a film adaptation of it with uh, yeah Frank Sinatra in the lead. Mm-hmm. So then, twenty years later, uh, the 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 writer of the novel, who I can't even remember the name of, yeah, he had written a sequel with the same character, and that is what they adapted into Die Hard. Mm-hmm. But obviously, they didn't try and connect it to that. Yeah, I think the word adapted is used very, um, well, correctly there. My, my understanding is it's very loosely um, 
adaptive. Well, actually, from what I read, I I understood it's quite uh, it's quite similar. Really? In, in mm. fact, very yeah. Basically, uh, Roderick Thorpe, also, like, by the way, is is who you uh, ah, yeah, that's remember. right. Yeah. That's a good name. Um, the main difference is that they've. Uh, the the character in the book is quite a lot older, and so the person he's going to visit is his daughter, and her grandkids are there. Hmm. Um, but and and the the other major difference is that the terrorists are actually terrorists, not robbers, um, which they turn out to be in this. Now there, there's a reason. The reason for that, as from I understand from the filmmaker's point of view, from like John McTiernan, and was because he felt that the robbers. You can have a bit more fun with them mm. and kind of like keep it a bit lighter. Whereas if it's terrorism, it's like, oh, all right. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. So it's, it was all a bit too heavy. So they they changed it around like that. So then you could have a bit more fun with them. You could kind of uh, get on their level a little bit more. And, uh, you know, they still get their comeuppance in the end. Hmm. But yeah, from what I understand, a lot of the stuff is there. For example, in the book, when he has to wrap the fire hose around himself and jump off the oh, roof really? and all that, that's in the book. The stuff with his bare feet, that's all in the book. Huh. Uh, the other major difference, I believe, was that um, the daughter in the book, which was sort of translated to the wife in the film, she dies at the end. Oh. But also, it's kind of set up that we get this idea that this company is up to no good and the terrorists have kind of targeting them because they're like doing shady deals and stuff ah. and they're trying to expose them and that she is in on it in some way. So she's kind of, uh, she's not the bad guy, but she's yeah, yeah. she's made, she's done enough bad things that she ends up uh, dying and it's kind of justified within the story. Huh, that's interesting. But that, even that dies, where uh, she dies because when... Uh, the Hans Gruber equivalent in the book goes out of the window. He grabs hold of her and pulls her out. And so, obviously, in the film, oh. they they manage to save her. But it's the same setup. The stuff, the thing with the gun taped on his back—that's in the book. Huh. Uh, yeah, a lot of it was there, really, from what I from what I read. Oh, interesting. Be- and I was reading about this because I watched the detective <gasps> um, the other day. Oh. Because basically, because I was reading about. The film and the research, and I thought, ah, oh, fuck it, I'll watch it. What else have I got to do with my life? How is it? Uh, it was, I mean, it's not a great film, hmm. but it was very interesting because it's essentially about this cop on a cave, you know, pretty standard detective stuff. But the film was very unlike what I was expecting. It's uh, it basically it's so raw. It's about, and this was in nineteen sixty eight. But the, the the beginning of it is he goes into this this house. It's a murder scene. This guy's been killed. And the guy who's been killed... Um, well, actually, f- first of all, uh, he he walks in and he's like, going, oh, yeah, check this. The blood splatter here. It was, there's some semen stains on the bed. Let's get them checked out. And I was like, I don't know when... When was the first time semen stains was said in a film? Because I, hmm. I can't imagine it's like a lot before 1968 so even that jumped out at me hmm. straight away it was like a little bit too real for the 60s anyway so the character who gets killed is a homosexual hmm. and so then it all becomes a part of this kind of underground homosexual world that is going on in um i don't know where it was set actually i can't hmm. remember but and then we get this other side story about him and his wife the detective and his wife and the wife she eventually kind of confesses that she has this urge to just go and sleep with strangers because he keeps finding her with people, with men. Huh. And then, so she's cheating on him all the time. And and she's, she's sort of got this 
she's just yeah like she can't really explain it like a psychological thing where she just has to go and fuck strangers hmm. and it's quite it's quite um it's not like done with innuendo particularly it's all really kind of out there and then there's all this um they they getting like all the other policemen are like really homophobic and stuff and uh that's i imagine that's quite in keeping with the 60s in real life hmm. but then the the main character isn't he's a lot more sympathetic and he kind of and that that seemed quite forward thinking as well for 1968 huh. so it was very very odd it's kind of really interesting film to watch as from that period not an amazing film the plot has like these two big chunks like one story that finishes and then another story that starts and they come together at the end, but it's so obvious they're going to come together hmm. because there's be no other reason to have them. Hmm. That when they kind of drag out this, oh, guess what? They're coming together storyline. It's like, oh yeah, okay. Hmm. And you know, the acting's sort of... It, it, it actually reminded me, Calvin, of Hitchcock. It felt like hmm. someone trying to do Hitchcock and like not making a very good job of it, but kind of emulating Hitchcock. But emulating like 1950s Hitchcock. It felt very... Hmm. Rear window, vertigo. Huh. I'll have uh, to check the, it out. The, the main woman in it is um, what's her name? Lee Remick. Is that? Is that? Oh right, person? yeah. I got the right name. So she she even looks a bit Hitchcocky and blonde. You know, mm. it's like before you said blonde, I was just imagining her looking like she'd fit in the the silhouette at the start. Of <laughs> <Africa> <laughs> so was Frank Sinatra playing John McClane, a character called John McClane? He's or... called something no, else in the a, book, isn't it? It's he? a different character. Yeah, it's oh. called Joseph, I think, something like that. They changed it for the for Die Hard just to ah, make it different. They didn't want to connect it to the other film in any way. It was just the same character in the book. They they weren't bothered. Part of my research told me that they were contractually obligated to offer the part to Frank Sinatra because there was some like clause really? in the contract. Like if there was yeah. any sequel, you must be offered the thing. So yeah, he had first refusal. Yeah, yeah, which he, he did. He, I mean, he was in his seventies. So like, <laughs> Don't think I'm up for it, lads. That would have been a brilliant film, though. <laughs> I think I would have enjoyed that. Die Hard. Uh, it's it's 1988. Nobody wants to play John McClane, so they 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 sorry they eventually get down far enough down the list to hit on some TV sitcom actor. Oh really? Oh, that, um, called yeah. Bruce Willis, hmm. who is primarily known for Moonlighting. That's the right name, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Sybil Shepherd with, um, yeah. with Sybil Shepherd. Mm. Now a sit- it's a sitcom. I've never really seen it. It was a sitcom. But I think it's more—it's more kind of like romantic, yeah, yeah, yeah. comedy kind of drama mm. sitcom rather than, you know, the Big Bang Theory sort of sitcom. It's not—it's mm. not quite that gag a minute sort of thing we you think of. So mm. there was a bit more dramatic acting involved. But yeah, bit of a gamble. It's, on it all was, counts really. It was far more unusual back then as well for an actor to kind of successfully transition from TV to film. Nowadays, that's far more common, I mm. think. But mm. it, it now was, it's like the other way around. Well, uh, you know. Film actors transitioning yeah. to TV. Yeah. yeah. But Marty McFly, he'd just done it. True. Uh, hadn't he? Mm. Yeah. So maybe that was, uh, yeah, that maybe. was going on in the 80s. Um, so, yeah, we've got this untested action star and a basically complete unknown playing the main villain. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Alan Rickman was an unknown. Yeah, yeah, I think Alan Rickman... In film, certainly. Alan Rickman's biggest claim to fame before this was getting cast in Red Dwarf, wasn't it? 
Oh. <laughs> well, this, yeah, this would have been about the same time, actually. Yeah, I think it was yeah, late eight, 88 was when Red Dwarf started. Yeah. So. Do you know about huh. that, Calvin? Red, Red Dwarf originally cast Alan Rickman and Alfred Molina as its two leads. And then oh. they, maybe he got the, the notice that he'd been cast in Die Hard or something. Basically, they decided we want this show to run for as long as possible and these two guys mm. are going to take off and be too successful <laughs> and we won't be able to make any more of the show. So they then just <laughs> went with Craig Charles and uh, Chris Barry instead. Hmm. <laughs> Not massively flattering to them. but <laughs> Hans Gruber just blew a guy's brains out, man. Blood everywhere. Is that Mr. Takago? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so... Uh, Alan Rickman, this was, I think it was his actual film debut. He was, he's already in his 40s here, um, mm. but he was a pretty well-established stage actor, I, I, as far as far as I know. It's just mm. that he hadn't made that breakthrough into TV and film particularly. Had he done that thing chasing Dawn French around a house in a really creepy way yet? I mean, aloha. Do you live here? You're Mr. Tinker, yes? Reconis. Elenica? Uh, yes, I suppose, Dad. Yeah, that's right. Go straight into the master bedroom, yeah. I was thinking of having that one, but of course we can negotiate the sleeping arrangements. Oh, as she is. I'm not even sure what that is. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so how are we approaching this then? Well, the beginning. I I can't imagine anybody's listening who doesn't know the vague premise of Die Hard. Um, mm. Well, it's it's Die Hard in a building, isn't exactly. it? <laughs> um, I mean, should we should we spell it out, or does it even need doing? Uh, nah, we've got this far. Nah, nah, it's, not it. it's not worth it at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, we should probably should we... I mean it's a bit late for disclaimers but another disclaimer uh, we are just focusing on the first film today we're, we're not going to oh, get yeah, to the yeah, sequels sure. of which there are many uh, we are saving that for, for a future episode they're uh, not Christmas films so well the really... second one is is it? Yeah, it's got it's... snow in it oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah it's, more, it's more Alan probably thinks it's more Christmassy than the first one with all that snow <laughs> Probably a big Christmas tree in the airport. It's been a while since I watched it. But... Who's the baddie in the second one? Um, William Sadler. Yeah. Oh, generic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, one thing that I kind of was found out in a little bit of research I did was that the script was not finished when they were shooting. Um, I was listening to John Mc... John McTiernan talking about it. Typical. They didn't McTiernan. have. They didn't. They didn't have the ending worked out. It's the same um, thing with Predator when, when they we started it. Covered that recently. Hmm. I just like whenever I hear stuff like that, it just makes me just boggle, at, like how the industry works. Yeah, it's, it's just it's, it's a ridiculous notion. Like, why haven't you not got a fucking script? It is, isn't it? But it, it, it's weirdly commonplace in Hollywood nowadays. I don't know if it was that common in the eighties, but nowadays it happens all the time. But I think it's a product of. All the big studios nail down the release dates two years in advance and think, right, that's our. We're taking Memorial Day weekend. That's ours for this mm. film. And yeah, I mean, obviously the the film it, it had an ending because they were following the book. So like that was that. But then at some point they went, 
or John McTiernan it was, who was like, oh, I don't want them to be terrorists, I want them to be robbers. And so he had to kind of make that work. And I think that's what they haven't worked out. Um, and it's, wow. and it does mean you end up with some kind of sloppy loose ends. Yeah, hmm. but but for a complete arse pull, it's quite an admirable job. Hmm. Um, well, no, I don't think it, it doesn't make a lot of difference really in terms of, because they don't get away. So it's not like, yeah. you know, I don't know, it's just, but one of those loose ends is Argyle, the limo driver, yes. who picks up John McClane and it helps to set up John McClane's character a little bit. We sort of explain why he's going to this place. And then he's just like, oh, I'll just wait around for you. Oh, no, oh, I don't no. know. He's connected directly to that. My point is that you get the the fact that they hven't really worked out what oh, they're right, doing. Oh, right, yeah. No, I agree. I've, I've, I've never really... Specifics. I've never really understood Argyle in the... He's, he, yeah, he gets lost a little bit. It's a nice little character. And that was the other thing as well that I, I heard in this interview. that Basically, the this actor they brought in just brought so much more character into this part. It was just supposed to be like, oh yeah, he's the driver, he picks him up and it gets yeah. gives a chance to do a bit of exposition on John McClane. But because he brought so much more to it, they were like, oh, let's keep him. Like, we'll figure out something to do with him later. And then, and then they were like, oh, let's put in a scene where he's on the phone and he talks to him again. And, like, and that's it, really. Like, that's all the justification you need, apparently. Hmm. Um, and then they tie him in at the end by getting him to drive into the guy who was getting away and hmm. then like that was the kind of like okay we've we've managed to come full circle and do something with him so that justifies it. Mm. Bruce Willis has yeah. just killed the man that he writes now I have a machine gun to ho 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 on. Ho, ho, ho. Okay. Oh, he was a henchman in The Living Daylights. I recognized him. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh can we talk a bit about Bruce Willis cuz it was watching this that I realised I really don't like him. As, and, <laughs> like Previous to this, I'd never had strong opinions about him, but now I'm just like, oh, actually, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything where I've enjoyed him. Is So that's that's him as an actor, or him as a person, or just all of it? Oh, no, actor, probably. As a person, probably, as well. But I, I, don't, <laughs> I tend to avoid interviews that he's in. He's very dull. See, I... I he, he, do, he, does come, he does appear to be one of those actors that pretty much just plays that one character you know it's like he plays that kind of every man apart from uh, when he's consciously playing against type which he does do from yes, time to time yes but i do like, like him in tom death cruise you know it's yeah. like that kind of thing it's yeah not... tom cruise is the same when tom cruise is in tropic thunder he's actually gonna put an effort into transform mm, himself exactly. but it doesn't happen often but we've seen Bruce Willis. We've seen him in like the Sixth Sense and Unbreakable. He can do some nice, subtle yeah. bit of acting. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's still very much a similar character, but he can do it. He's he, and he's not a bad actor. Yeah, but I think I know what Calvin's getting at. It's not that you don't like his acting. It's just you, you don't particularly like the way he comes across, right? Yeah, I guess. And it's hard in Die Hard when the character's such a conservative asshole, which really. <laughs> irritated me <laughs> it's like he goes up to like the touch screens at the plaza and it's like all oh, this highfalutin business oh and then man you you he would, goes you haven't seen the second to, one have you <laughs> i did years ago i've seen them all years it's, ago well, it's, not, a not running, the most recent it's a running thing in the second one that he won't use a fax machine and everyone's like for fuck's sake will you fucking get with the times and use a fax machine mate and he's like eh, fax machine eh, why don't people talk anymore face to face man eh. this is what that this is a trope and you see in a lot of michael bay films i'm pretty sure we talked about it in the transformers reviews that we did but this like how when your hero's just this 
average guy and these people in suits with their qualifications, they don't know anything. <laughs> it's, you know, your average Joe who'll solve... Them. That's why Rocky won in Rocky Four, isn't it? He went off and chopped wood <laughs> instead of injecting himself with computers. <laughs> but then it's also like when he gets up into the party, there's a guy who comes up and kisses him on the cheek and then he's like, whoa, California. And then his like whole point <laughs> is like basically getting his wife to give up this great career that she's got because no, old-fashioned. He, he the, now the whole idea the, the, they're really setting him up as this blue collar guy, this kind of every man. Mm. Hey, I just uh, you know I have my lunch at at, at twelve thirty. I have my dinner at six. Uh, what what more do I want? I got two beers every night. Mm. Uh, that kind of guy. They're playing with the idea because she's a career woman. It's like the eighties. This is the new American woman, and he's he's struggling to deal with that. Exactly. But he's not being an asshole. He's not saying hey, you can't do that. He's saying, well, I can't do it with you. And that's what's creating this distance between them. Or a yeah, and, distance. And, if I, and, and I'd like that if, I, if the ending was not her going off with him and he literally saves the day. She has this, like, fancy Rolex watch. He saves the day when the villain's, <laughs> like, grabbed onto it. He unleashes it and the villain falls down with it. I, I mean, I don't think that's accidental. It, it, I, I've got the to reason, say it's... The reason I think it works, the reason I think it works is because... Um, Holly Gennaro, the wife, never loses her strength. She never yeah. becomes... Even when she's literally got a gun to her head and she's the hostage and he essentially has to save her, she's never... She always seems strong and in the moment. And in mm. fact, like, she kind of helps push Alan Rickman away so that he can shoot him. You know, yeah, she knows yeah, yeah. what's going she, on. She, she understands. She, she buys time at a few points from what I remember. She, she, and then, you know, yeah. she smacks the reporter in the face as well. You know, yeah, like yeah. she's a strong woman and all this. And I, and that's why it works. And I think that's why you can have that character who's a bit old fashioned. John McClane, he's like, he's a bit out of step in the eighties, but he knows he's got to kind of catch up. A bit. And, and they make a point of him being old fashioned. Doesn't Alan Rickman call him a relic at some point? I, I'm pretty sure yeah, they yeah. make a point of him being a bit of an outdated man who isn't with the times. And I don't know if the film necessarily looks at that as a virtue so much as it's just something for, you know, people can identify with. Yeah, exactly. It's represented as something that's really normal and that most people watching this film will go, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, my wife's got a job as well. <laughs> I find it <laughs> odd that you take issue with that Carvin though because you are like the super fan of one of the most iconic sort of right wing twat characters out there um Hitler <laughs> <laughs> no but you know that kind of that sort of light cuntiness that you're driving at is what defines James Bond is it not James Bond has a smugness and a charm and a sense of humor beyond ooh these touch screens and well, so does John these... McClane. He's got a real sense of humour mm. about what he's doing. He's got a little little wit on him, little mouth. Mm. Yippee mm. <laughs> motherfucker! That that line's great. That that is a very good line. Yeah, yeah. No, it it just yeah. I I wasn't a fan, and I don't think that the his support group like the agents that are helping him there's like one police guy who's like him. He's like a average Joe sort of guy and. I don't dislike the character, but he also feels similar to Argyle to me. He feels like a bit of a loose tangent that got kind of lost along the way. It's a subplot. It does weave in, it does tie the, up, the, the but ex- it feels kind yeah, of separate the, to everything else. 
the cop, the cop on the ground, so to speak, Al, I believe his name is. Yeah. Um, he's in the book as well, but I think in the book yeah. he's like a twenty-two-year-old guy who's like a rookie or whatever. Yeah. It, so it, it feels, they changed that slightly. It really feels to me like this script. The one thing that could improve it is find a way to merge Argyle and Al basically into one character. Figure mm. out a way to kind of make that work that like Argyle alerts the police. Well, they or definitely something could like have that. because it, yeah. Argyle speaks to him on the phone and he's listening to their radio chatter because he's got a CB radio yeah. in the car. They literally could have done that. Oh, I know Argyle's got a CB radio mm. in the car. I can get through to him on this because I, I think having having the guy on the ground is his sort of eyes and ears of a sort. Oh, I love this bit. We just had the bit where he's trying to call the the emergency services, and they're like, "Sir, this is this line's for emergencies only." And he's like, "No fucking shit, lady. You think I'm ordering a fucking pizza?" Well, uh, he doesn't say fucking. Come on. No fucking shit, lady. Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Yeah, and that's that. That annoyed me as well. Just it's this great. disdain for any kind of process and. What do you mean disdain? He's like, he's like, this is a fucking emergency. No, I, I made the same note. Like, because first of all, I'm like, why are they so like? doubtful about this. Yeah, why that's they ridiculous. Take this, why aren't they taking this seriously as an emergency call? At least, like, go and look into it. Mm. But also, yeah, why don't he just go, okay, my name's John McClane, I'm uh, I'm a police officer, here's my number, so you can know I'm legitimate, mm. uh, and you can trust me. Um, <laughs> or... Or anything like that. Or or even just like explain the situation well, like sensibly. Al's buying mm. Twinkies now, so that's that's what we're dealing with. Well, you're 40 minutes in there, because I made a note that he's, it's 40 minutes in before he turns up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a similar thing when Agent Johnson and Special Agent Johnson come in and... I mean, just by their names, you're to know that they're not to be taken seriously. I love that. Yes, but this... I think this... Such a One of the major weaknesses joke. of the... F- yeah, it is a weird thing. I love it, but though. It's one brilliant. Of the, one of the major like it, weaknesses yeah. of this film, for me, are the cop characters. Al is okay, mm. but mm. then immediately you got his chief comes in and, like, for whatever reason, is just a total dick. And is like, hey, Al, uh, PC Al, whatever your name is, um, why why have you not gone in there and, like, arrested all these terrorists? Like, that's what you should have done. Like, just really unreasonable demands and like it's one thing to kind of bustle in and right okay you've done your bit now we're taking over and kind of push him to one side but he sort of literally is quite aggressive uh, like tell you why alan because he's a he's an la cop and he doesn't like these fucking new york cops and how they operate it's like beverly hills cop all over again isn't it but he doesn't even know at that point and then and then you get the exact same thing when johnson and johnson come in and and Mm. and they take over and, and they're doing the exact same thing to him and that just feels really weak. Those characters do not feel real at all. They feel like comedy cop characters. Mm. And when they Johnson and Johnson walk in, it goes. Yeah. But yeah, it's just sort of like that. It's one of the few elements of the film where it really loses its mm. sense of reality. Mm. In a film that is quite a ridiculous concept, I appreciate that. But <laughs> like in terms of character, we we lose that. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think the film does a remarkable job at selling its premise elsewhere. I think that, you know, I agree with what you're saying. It it kind of, it stops selling the ludicrousness of what it's doing as well when those guys are on screen. Absolutely. I just, I I feel like it makes a very, the the only people we are to like, probably apart from McLean's wife and Mr. Takagi, are the average Joe guys and everyone else, be you reporter, be you 911 operator, policeman, uh, FBI, anything, you are smarmy and contemptible in some way. Well, 
yeah. yeah. I think even even but, Hans Gruber is more likable. Well, I was going to say one of the most likable yeah. people in the film. I don't know if it's intentional. Is is Alan Rickman's <laughs> Hans Gruber? He's um, brilliant. And yeah, let's let's talk about Alan Rickman. Yeah, I mean this is because... one of his finest hours. Um, well, it certainly set up his career in terms of film. It, as a debut goes, it was. Pretty good. He is <laughs> did very well out of it. Fantastic film villain. He's one of the mm. one of the best like action movie villains ever. I'd say just yep, just fantastically charming. He's got a funny voice. That's it. There's a scene. Yeah, oh, <laughs> ding dong, ding dong. Oh, it's German Alan Rickman at the door. <laughs> oh, hey, it's, uh, it's actually American German Alan Rickman. Oh no, don't hurt me. Oh my god. You're one of them. <laughs> oh God! Oh God! You know what? People always point to that as like, oh God, they found out he could do a fantastic American accent, and then they wrote it into the script, and it's like, mm. oh, <laughs> really? oh, that's interesting because I thought it must have been there because up until the ending, you don't really get him and John McClane together in the same scene, <clears throat> and you need the villain and hero to meet before they have their showdown. So I just assumed it was constructed for that, but. Mm. Yeah, wow. I, 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 think, I think they. I don't know if it, how true that is, but I think they were writing a. I think they might have met, but they they specifically wrote he pretends to be a guest doing mm, okay. a fake accent. Apparently, because I like they that. found it's that, a really you know, nice. It is a nice bit. It, it's a great way of getting them to meet, like yeah. you say. Oh, that the, the really, that, that whole sequence is phenomenal. The the way the power shifts back and forth, it is just so well crafted. Mm. It's so mm. tense. It, it's. It, I mean, that's that's a classic bit of um, Hitchcockian stuff, isn't it? It's the iconic shot now of Brucey in the air vent. By the way. Oh like, yeah. It's pretty much. It's pretty much the only bit as well where we actually see Hans Gruber like in a situation that he, well, not. I was going to say in a situation he can't handle, which is not true because he does handle it. Mm. But in he suddenly finds himself like not where he expected. Like, yeah, with a gun yeah. In his face. It, it turns and he it immediately into, thinks of a scheme to get out of it. It turns but, it into more of a kind of battle of wits between the two heroes. Mm. It's much more like a a bit of a game of chess that they're playing rather yeah. than just because, who can punch each other the hardest. It, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and because Hans Gruber is so calm and collected and everything's planned out to the finest detail. That's that's throwing him out of his plan, panics him slightly, but he, he deals with it in another way. Yeah, and he's just like, okay, I approach it from this way. And he doesn't really get angry. There's a couple of moments where he's like, go and get my detonators or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm. But he plays it all very calm, this repressed rage. And it works really nicely. And also, John McClane is never like it's all guns isn't it he never really like tussles and oh there is a there is a big fight sequence isn't there with yeah Carl. C- certainly near the um, end yeah but it's it's definitely not even he is not it, it's never going to be a fist fight between these two guys it's, it's more well, it's much it, more like james bond you know like james bond might punch someone but it's never becomes rough and tumble yeah it's because uh, bruce willis versus alan rickman you don't get the impression that'd be much of a matchup you, you feel like mm. bruce willis would Destroy him <laughs> in a matter of seconds. Alan Rickman would f- fight dirty. Yeah, kick him in the crotch <laughs> and run away. But, yeah. The character is really well realised of Hans Gruber, and it, it's obviously it wasn't the first time it's done, but I think it's been oft imitated anyway. Yes, yeah, yeah. That 
sophisticated European. Yes. Like, which is, at the time was shorthand for kind of clever <laughs> uh, and slightly, slightly suspicious. Um, yeah. And yeah, he's the sort of person who would play chess and listen to classical music, which they don't actually show him doing in this film, which they. Oh, he does listen to classical music. Does he? Yeah, so I think it owes, it does owe a lot to Bond, like that kind of yeah, you know, the sophisticated Bond villain, you know, like your uh, Christopher Walken or Christopher mm. Lee, uh, you know, that that sort of villain. Well, that's why I brought up the thing about having the meat, because that's a trope of the yeah. Bond films, is that you always have Bond on civilized terms with the villain before they eventually have a scuffle and Bond kills them. So yeah, I think his plan's quite good. Uh, the villain's plan, just mm-hmm. yeah. while we're on the subject. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the, and the twist that he's going to blow up all the hostages on the roof. Um, I thought that was quite clever. I didn't... I forgot about that twist, so... That... Very cold as well. It really doesn't care about killing all these people. Yeah. Mm. In fact, it's kind I... of crucial to his plan to get away. I think mm. that's part mm. of why the villain's so great. He's, he's mm. ruthless. It's not just a, a front and he's actually a good guy. A lot of films love... would write in, oh, mm. he's just doing it because his daughter's dying of this disease. And he's, <laughs> yeah. and he's actually a good guy, he doesn't want to kill anyone. It's like, no, this is like villains villain. could actually that one moment, Yeah, That one mm. moment where uh, Holly Gennaro goes, oh, all that posturing and you're just a common thief. And he goes, I am not a common thief, I am a fucking exceptional, exceptional thief. thief. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is the nice, it's, it's like one of the few moments where he loses control slightly. It's because everything's getting a bit hectic. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, a lovely little moment there. I love the scene where he's got the uh, the coked up uh, colleague of um, McLean's <laughs> wife is sort of thinking that he's, you know, uh, going to be very clever with this whole yeah. thing and talk McLean around and stuff. And you just know that Alan Rickman's going to kill him, but he's just like toying with him and mm. the guy just doesn't even realise it. It's just like yeah. a cat with a mouse <laughs> and then he eventually kills him. And then yeah. I love that bit, like, we don't see him shoot the guy. We just hear it. And then the next time we see Hans Gruber, he's like running out with the phone to all the other hostages outside who are screaming. And I, I think it's a yeah. really cool shot from just like mm-hmm. behind him of him holding up the phone and so McLean yeah. can hear. Yeah. Um, really well done bit. That's another another great little supporting character as well, that guy. Mm. Um, mm. The, co- the cokehead co-worker. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, again, just bring a lot of character to a relatively small role. Um, yeah. Bruce Willis just threw a corpse at a police car, and the car's like Ooh. freaking out. And now he's he's shouting, <laughs> "Welcome to the party, pal!" and all that. I love this bit. That's a good just, just how legitimately yeah. a freak out Alan. Yeah, What's it called? I did Al- like that as well. Yeah, Al. Al gives oh, us yeah. Al. It's called Al. Mm. Another element of the screenplay, I guess, that we should really give credit to because we, we've spoken about how just economical and how kind of well crafted it is for the most part. Um, mm. But I, I think we've got to give credit to the the amount of characterization that is just given to each. Obviously, I think a lot of it is casting and getting actors in that can do it. But I do think the screenplay has just got a great like selection of bits of dialogue and stuff that really sells each character, or at least mm. the key characters that we're kind of picking out as. You know, like like that line, I, I am an exceptional thief. Just little moments like that are just really just really nicely done. They don't over mm. over egg it. They they're just kind of yeah, that's what this guy would do and Yeah, and so some of the other characters Bonnie Bedelia is the wife, we've kind of discussed quite a lot. 
very good, great, strong character. Really just doesn't get to do a lot. Yeah. But makes makes the most of what she needs to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um we got the of the of the other terrorists, the only one we get a lot of character from is the computer guy who's yes. sort of hacking the security. He's definitely a loose end. Um no idea what happens to him at the end. Presume he gets arrested. Mm. He's never mentioned in the franchise again, is he? <laughs> But he's the only one who survives. Everyone else is dead with yeah. the bad guys. So I would like it would have been nice to just pull him back in one of the later films, or just like a little reference or something. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. There are a lot of little comedy moments. One of the SWAT team, who's just an extra, like he's walking through a, a flower bed, catches himself on a rose on a thorn, and like hurts his hand and goes ah, and like looks at his hand. <laughs> which must have just been a, na- a real thing that happened when the guy was walking through and they've just thought, oh, let's mm. let's keep that in. That just feels like a natural SWAT guy hurting himself <laughs> on a thorn. <laughs> Little moments like that. And then like one of the terrorists is waiting for them to come in, but he's next to the confectionery stand, so he starts eating chocolate. Like these little moments where I could just see John McTiernan going, oh, do you know what we can do here? This will be really funny. Hee, hee, hee. And it's just like, uh, it's not quite that funny, is it? <laughs> I, I, I still like those moments. It's like even yeah, when the uh, the terrorists first arrive at the plaza and it's the two guys going in and they're just talking like casually, like, you know, just like Americans, I guess. Uh, and then the, just so that the guards, you know, the night watchman or whatever he is, just doesn't suspect. And yeah. as soon as they get up to him, they kill him and yeah, take over. Um, yeah, no, I, I, there's a lot of little moments like that, that alleviate, uh, elevate this rather to being more than just a bland action movie. I think there's a lot. And there's of really- definitely a, d- a deliberate attempt at comedy and a lot of things. Oh yeah. I mean, even jo- John McClane, like a lot of his lines are comedic. You know, when mm. he's talking to himself quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think it works. Like it, like you say, it kind of... It, it, it offsets what could be a very po-faced action film. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I, I think it does a really good job of walking that line as well, because Michael Bay sort of is a good example of how you can go too far down the... Yeah. Just making everything a joke kind of route, and it just becomes self-indulgent and just not funny and shit. Mm. Um, mm. Because, then, yeah, and then but, it's punctuated by, like, oh, I just shot this guy because yeah. he didn't tell me what I wanted. But then at the same time, you've got to have a bit of levity in there. It's, you know, I think it's the perfect balance of, of comedy and, and taking things seriously, personally, for, yeah. this, for this kind of a film. Um, there was there was one little bit of uh, foreshadowing that I liked when... Um, uh, when he when he drops the homemade bomb thing down the lift shaft and explodes yes. the building, mm-hmm. and then the and the cop like has a go at him, the chief cop guy, and he says, "Oh, there's glass all over everyone down here." And John McClane says, "Glass? Who cares about glass?" Which is obviously this is before he gets his feet cut up. Yeah, because <laughs> ob- obviously, <laughs> obviously he knew that uh, M Night Shyamalan was going to be tying up all these universes. With the uh, long-awaited <laughs> sequel where he goes up against. James McAvoy, um, <laughs> 30 years on. Yeah, and then there's the scene, the other big action scene is where he attaches a fire hose to himself and, and has to jump off an exploding roof. Oh, I love that. A window. That's an amazing bit of, yeah, that's such a great action scene. When he gets through and then the thing falls off mm. the, whatchamacallit, mm. uh, the roller, whatever, yeah. and it starts like yeah, slowly yeah. pulling him out the window. It's just every, like how that is timed is just so perfect. Yeah, really good. Now we do get given um, the perfect happy ending mm. in the the policeman learns to kill again. 
(laughs) (laughs) Obviously what we're all worried about. Uh, Mm. But yeah, Al, big Al, the uh, policeman, because he... Because he murdered a child. I was going to say, not just any policeman. <laughs> a policeman who, who murdered a kid by accident. Yeah. Learns to kill I mean, again. he was, you know, he managed to keep his job, and that's fair, fair enough. Um, so, yeah, he learned to, to be able to kill again, which is a beautiful moment at the end of the film. And, and somehow it does manage to be this beautiful moment at the end of the film. You know, you take it out of context, it sounds bizarre. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Again, another one where... I don't know if we quite we quite got enough of his character to really care. Mm. Um, it was just like this one conversation where they have a moment of uh, you know personal contact, which is kind of the whole point of that character is to give John McClane someone to talk to. Mm. Mm. Apparently, Alan, this will surprise you. The German that the terrorists speak is sometimes grammatically incorrect. <laughs> and uh, in the German version of the film, they are simply from quotes Europe. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm I'm just I'm just reading the trivia. Turkey. <laughs> it's Christmas, everyone. Wake up, everyone. <laughs> it's Christmas. <laughs> We're gonna have to play parlor games. <gasps> oh. oh, I love those. <laughs> play charades and Pictionary. Oh, that game where you put someone's name on your head, and oh no, actually, you ruined that game for me, you soul, and me? people <laughs> at university who I in- introduced that game to. Wasn't it? Was it because you, you put Scrooge McDuck? I was going to say, wasn't it friend of the show Connor who ruined it for everyone by not knowing who Scrooge McDuck is, and then getting furious <laughs> at the idea that he should know who Scrooge McDuck is? <laughs> Uh, no, it's when we when we got into levels where it was like the dog from series two, episode three of Red Dwarf. The, <laughs> that was the end. All right, yeah, I might have ruined the game for you. To be <laughs> uh, Christmas game, everyone. Oh, Die Hard twenty questions. Who am I from Die no. Hard? Oh, okay, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> okay. Are you... Are you... German? No. I've got 19 <laughs> left. Oh, right. Oh, I thought you were going to like read as a quote. Or no, something. no, no. Are you American? Yes. Hmm. Uh, do you enjoy cocaine? <laughs> I mean, probably not when I'm uh, in front of the camera, but yeah. <laughs> are you... Do you work for the FBI? Uh, no. Hmm. Um, are you a man? Yes. Hmm. There's so only like one woman in the to... film. Oh, but yeah, no, it would have, would have worked out really well if it said no. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. Are you a policeman? Yes. <laughs> are you, are you, uh, at risk of type 2 diabetes? <laughs> Uh, probably not, no. No. Oh. Are you John McClane? Yeah. Good game, was it? <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone! It's... <laughs> uh, you got there, what was that, seven, eight questions? <laughs> oh, I'm up to, I'm up to the scene with the guy. Hans, Bubby, that guy. We well we Soft should we lots. skip to the ending? We haven't done the kind of the big climax. Oh yeah, mm. yeah. So the, yeah, good point. At yeah. some point, the 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 
power gets turned off, the terrorists get into the vault, and then it's sort of revealed. That, is that when they reveal their true nature? Yeah, I think it's only just when they get into the vault. Uh, they've got the pretty big banknotes. Like, what is that? Do you have to, like, cut it with scissors or something to make it into proper money? <laughs> no, they're bearers bonds, aren't they? Aren't they? Oh. I thought it was, like, big money, like, that you had to cut with a guillotine or something. And I'm sure they've got machines in the Bank of England for these things. <laughs> no, it's just... I don't know, it's... They're, they're bonds. I'm not exactly sure how you convert that into sort of stuff you can spend at a shop, but it's... Oh, I'm, I'm doing the premium bond thing. I signed know, up for it last week. Premium James Bond. <laughs> you know... You know how when you get, like, a tenner... And, like, it's slightly wonky at the top, and there's, like, the bottom of another tenner on the top of your £10 note, because it was cut at a slight angle and stuff. Mm. No. No, no actually, yeah, get, no, I don't. You've been getting very dodgy money, then, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I was going to say, it doesn't, it doesn't happen like that, does it? <laughs> oh, right. Mm. I don't think... Well, I think they do print them all off and then cut them out. I don't know if they do it... Yeah, but it's like a big robot that does it. It's not some guy with a guillotine, <laughs> like a primary school teacher, awkwardly trying to <laughs> chop them all out. <laughs> oh, do you know this, guys? Do you know where Bruce Willis was born? Yes. No. Go on there, Idaho. No? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Zimbabwe. No, he's, apparently, Bruce Willis was born in West Germany. And his mother's German, so he's he's actually it's more Bruce, isn't it? Yeah, he's more more German than the uh, than, <laughs> than the Hans. villain of the film, who is of course British. that must have been awkward for her, having <laughs> you know he pr- presumably took her to the premiere. She's really pleased with her son getting this starring role in a big budget movie, and uh, we just see a countryman uh, <laughs> insulted on screen. Yeah, grammatically incorrect. <laughs> I'm sure she turned over to the director. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Tiernan. Another iconic shot when Alan Rickman falls off the building. That's great. Slow motion. Oh god, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. It, 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 like it, obviously it's like it's a green screen and you can sell that, but it's um it still works and it like having it in slow motion and his the look he gives is it's perfect, isn't it? It's just mm. a beautiful bit of I'm about to fall to my death acting. Yeah. Well, I hear that that was actually another small bit of my research is that they they told Alan Rickman, okay, on three, we'll let you go. One, and then let him go. So Uh it was quite a genuine, because he fell quite a a distance for that. There was crash mat, obviously. But yeah, apparently that's what they did to get that shocked reaction. And Alan Rickman was really angry. Uh, afterwards, I can see why he would do that. Yeah, yeah, because there is a genuine look on his face of just yeah (laughs) horror. Who betrayed me? (laughs) I'm going to fall this forty feet now. And then they do, and then you they cut to the exterior, and you get a classic like stuntman falling off a building, like a genuine like you know, there's a there must be some sort of air mat there that's just out of sight, but that's still like a. 200 foot drop or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous, like things that, like good old fashioned stunts that you just mm. don't see these days. Because I'm used to those kind of bodies in James Bond films just being like a mannequin or whatever. And there's some, we're getting to a couple of Bond films actually where, you know, you can just see their arms sort of like flopping around because they're just obviously like stuffed with pillows or something like that. Uh, but this one, you could really tell it was an actual human who was falling. It's yeah. quite impressive. Do you remember in. Yeah. In Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, oh, they like reference the end of Die Hard. It's really weird. Oh, with Dumbledore. Yeah, 
Yeah. Because it's because Snape obviously played by Alan Rickman kills Dumbledore. Spoilers and <laughs> basically like <laughs> chucks him off the top of a building in the same way. And it's shot in the like exact same way, like same framing and everything as Alan Rickman's death in Die Hard. It's got to be an intentional reference <laughs> to the film, but it just makes that scene that's meant to be really like emotionally weighty. It just makes it really funny. It's like, oh lol, they're doing Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very odd decision. One last thing I want to mention is how how much John McClane like throughout the film just gets completely fucked. <laughs> um, and like by the end, he's like limping, he's bleeding all over the place. I love like... films that do this. It's just like Evil Dead, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, again, a bit more genuine than like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Predator, for example. Kind of never really. Or stopped. or like Bruce Willis, uh, uh, John McClane in A Good Day to Die Hard, for example. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the guy gets shot at one point as well, and it's still classic kind of Hollywood bullet wound that it just sort of means he sort of has a bit of a limp and yeah but at least they kind of feels like they're making that effort to show him that he's really been through the ringer and kind yeah. of screwed over a bit that's it. it it feels like they they're they're giving it its due um hmm. how long how long is it supposed to be taking place over because it's only one night isn't it yeah one night apparently i don't know if it's this case in the book or what apparently it was meant to be set over three days um, originally, so I assume that's based on the book, and then it was John McTiernan and hmm. was like, "Let's let's make it a one night jobby." I thought it could could almost be happening in real time, almost. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which you know would would uh, lend itself to that that uh, Jack Bauer, John McClane crossover. That oh, I can't, I can never remember. Was it Bruce Willis who was desperate to make that happen for some bizarre reason? One of the stars <laughs> was really into the idea. Hmm. Do you not know about that, Calvin? No. It, I think it, yeah, it was Bruce Willis was like really into the idea of making a Die Hard twenty four crossover as one of the sequels at one point, and it was going to be called Die Hard twenty four seven. Genuinely. Oh, you're right. Yes. Oh, I completely forgot about this because they're both twentieth century Fox projects. Yeah. So yeah. The only hmm. reason it didn't happen was that um, Kiefer Sutherland wanted to focus on making. Jack Bauer 24, its own like film franchise at the time, because they were gearing that up to make well. a 24 movie that never got made. Or uh, got made as a TV thing, didn't it? And But that would have been mm. just awful. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that would have been really bad. Uh, I've seen some pretty bad takes on Die Hard sequels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Should we? I mean, we, like we say, we'll, we'll probably deal with the rest of the franchise at some point in the future. Yeah. But yeah, They're just a, a quick mention. One. It's lost its fucking mind, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I remember really liking the fourth one. <laughs> oh, I mean, you would, Calvin, you would. Oh, okay. Well, is it not... I don't know much about these films. Is that not a, considered the, the, a good one? The general consensus is the first one is brilliant. The second one is a complete and utter rehash, but a lot of people, myself included, think it's good fun. I remember mm. liking that one more than the first one. The third one is... <laughs> Usually pretty highly regarded, certainly amongst. Oh, fans, I didn't like that one. Although I think it didn't do that well critically. Uh, mm. The fourth one is generally looked down on by the snottier film fans out there, and it's pretty universally <laughs> considered to be a a betrayal of the franchise, and that it just turns John McClane into like Superman. 
But oh. I think a lot of people also think it's pretty solid, like stupid action movie for what it is. And then everyone mm. just agrees the fifth one's complete dog shit. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm not surprised that the fourth one would be your favourite, to be honest. It, it seems quite in character for you. Mm. It, you know, it's the glossy Hollywood action. I don't know. It, it... I don't remember much about it, but I remember Justin Long's in it. Yeah. And there's a point where Bruce Willis drives a car into Maggie <laughs> Q, and then they go into a lift shaft. Uh, th- yeah, there's a point where he drives a car into a helicopter as well. I thought that's what you were going to Oh, say. yes, I remember that bit. Yeah, yeah. What do you rate Die Hard, Sol? <laughs> um, you know what? I I think this film is a, uh, a tour de force in action filmmaking. It's a classic for a reason. It's... Um, every element pretty much works for me. I, I feel like we've been quite down on it, but that's only because, you know, so much praise is heaped upon it uh, that that it feels like we need to address the balance a bit. Uh, I do love it to pieces, and I think it's a very high-quality bit of filmmaking. 10 out of 10. Wow! <laughs> I mean, I, I, I enjoy it. I agree with most of what you just said there. Um, I give it a 9 out of 10. See, I, I I don't know if I I really came to appreciate it more have it after having our discussion. I'm not gonna lie. When I was watching it, I was a little bit bored in places. Um, and I I think we I had some criticisms. Uh, seven out of ten from me. Oh. It, it, it's nice. It's fine. It's that's good. that's all right. I I think yeah. To say back at uni, you certainly didn't like it. Yeah, I thought, I thought you were going to go lower than that. So no, that's cool. No, I was well, I was going to go six, and then but based on our discussion, I think I appreciate it a lot more and what it does, and yeah, it 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 has no right being as good as it is. It's definitely one of those films that you see it now. It's uh, everything's copied it so much. It was a yeah. yeah uh, it's yeah, kind it of is. difficult to see it with the kind of wonder of the original time. Mm. Mm. Yeah, oh, that's that's a. Uh... That's a, a high high rating for us. Mm-hmm. But this would be your guy's favourite of those yeah. movies, yeah. that series. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 especially in, just in its place in like film history now as well. Like what how it, it did kind of launch a, a million emulators really, and you know, yeah. everything was die hard on a Yeah. I I think this is very much a film that probably shouldn't have had a sequel. Doesn't really lend itself to sequels in the sense that the whole point is that this is a cat like an everyman who doesn't go through this sort of mad shit every day and yeah. you know it, it's like a an extreme situation he finds himself in and so it, to say that they should never have made any die hard sequels in my opinion I think they did a remarkably good job of making them good. Um, I, I think it's a surprisingly good, consistent franchise in terms of its quality through the sequels. Uh, mm. But I'll I'll save that for more detail when 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 we get mm. there, I guess. But mm. the last one was shite to the point that I I can't even get excited about this new one they're making. <laughs> okay, so if you were going to do a direct sequel to Die Hard, what would you do? In this day and age, what hasn't Die Hard been done in? I did I did I say in our Jurassic Park episode? I always used to say I wanted Jurassic Park Die Hard crossover, <laughs> Die Hard Why? in a Jurassic Park. John McClane gets shipped off to Jurassic Park. Be good with it. 
Does he have to shoot a dinosaur? You got to pick a location. Go with that. I, I generally think... the generally the people who were expert firearms like tough guy sort of people don't really do well in Jurassic Park films. They normally get killed. Yeah, Bruce Willis is like John McClane isn't an expert firearms guy. Mm. He's he's an everyman. He he'd be like William H Macy kicking the no. He'd be like the guy who's with William H Macy who kicks the machine and gets the food out of it and then gets killed. So yeah, never mind. Um, <laughs> I I mean the thing with Die Hard was the first one set in a building, and it was this constant escalation in terms of scale. So the second one it it's an airport, the third one it's a city, the fourth one it's all of America, the fifth one they go international. Um, hmm. Oh, so, interesting. So for the longest while it was sort of like how can we make it bigger and bigger? But I think space. Well, yeah. So Die Hard in space certainly. You know what? Actually, that would be quite. That'd be nice in that it would be quite a, a claustrophobic little... Because it'd presumably, presumably be like a space station, wouldn't it? So it'd be... That could actually be quite nice, as ludicrous as it would be. Um, hmm. Well, I don't think that's, even, that's too small. It's like Die Hard in a bathroom. It's, <laughs> it's, like, but then that, that's the thing. I, I think the thing to do at this point would be... Right, we've made five films. The last one was appalling. It's been losing its way... Let's make one last film. Bruce Mc, uh, Bruce Willis can just about get away with being this guy, like maybe once more. Just about. Um, let's make one more to like finish it off, mm. and we'll kind of go back to basics and do that thing of like we'll do like a Jurassic World where we kind of just rehash the original film, but do it well enough that it works as a kind of you know nostalgic treat for fans. I don't know. So I, hmm. I, I think you want to bring it back down to a small, claustrophobic, intimate location again. Someone, did you see someone took out a, um, like a page advert in the, like the New York Times or some magazine like that a while ago, a screenwriter to pitch their diehard idea and oh. to Hollywood. And I think they did get some meetings off the back of it. Not, not to make diehard, but to make something else. Um hmm. But their idea was basically, uh, I think it was a prequel idea, but it was Die Hard in a Prison. And it's, hmm. it's like John McClane dealing with being trapped inside a prison riot, which I oh, think yeah. would be a great premise. Something hmm. like that would work quite nicely. Yeah, I could see that. I don't want to say that because it's this other guy's idea. But It is better to keep him contained then. Like that's a part of the formula. I for definitely, you. yeah, absolutely. I think so. Because you don't want it to, when it gets too big, it just becomes like crazy, ridiculous Michael Bay action. And I think you want to kind of what makes these earlier films work so well is the the fact that they are vaguely grounded. I, I don't know. Hmm. What I mean, what what else is there? Die Hard on a cruise ship, but then they made Speed Two, speed so that two. would work. Yeah. Die Hard on a bus is just speed, isn't it? Yeah, it's too small anyway. Speed's brilliant, um, but you know. I think John McClane, he needs, was a, it, he needs a big Yanderbont, enough... Yanderbont was the DOP on um, Die Hard, wasn't he? Yanderbont, is, he was a DOP and then Speed was his first film as a director. Oh, oh right, okay. right. Oh, Die Hard in an old people's home. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that like Paul Blart 3 or something? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's old enough now. Hasn't that been years? done? I could swear that that's been done. There's like a comedy, like an episode of South Park or something. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna name. I've pulled up a list here of 
Die Hard in Earth. <laughs> right? Should we make a game of it? Oh, yeah, okay. you tell us it and we'll, we'll, we have to figure out what film it is. Oh, I like this. I'll say right now, it's the Den of Geek article I'm using, so give him a bit of credit. Uh, die Hard in a Boarding School? I mean, you probably would have mentioned that before when we uh, said Halloween school. H2O? Harry Potter? No. Something called Toy Soldiers, which I've never heard of. Die Hard in Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills Cop! No. See, these are all shitty action movies from, like, the 90s that none of us know. That's the problem with this. Mm. It's a film called The Taking of Beverly Hills. No. <laughs> from 1991. Die Hard on an aeroplane. Air Force One! That's not this one that they've listed. Snakes on a plane! The film they've gone with is Passenger 57, <laughs> but I can believe Air Force One is that as well. I haven't seen it. See if you can get any of these at all. Right. Die Hard. <laughs> on a battleship. Oh, Under Siege! Yes! Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, under yeah, Siege. Steven Thank you. Die Hard on a train. It's under Siege 2. Die Hard. On a mountain. Cliffhanger? Alive! Yes, Alan. Cliffhanger. Uh. Alive. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, right. Fingers on buzzers. Ready? Right. Die Hard. On a bus. Speed! Speed! Oh, that was definitely Alan. That was definitely Alan. Okay, so two to Alan. Alan's winning. Die Hard. On a train. Under Siege 2. It's Under Siege 2. Oh. Is that the film with Ryback? I don't know. Is that the one? I don't know. Is that the one where where the guy from uh, where Davy from uni used to send me the clip of this guy going Ryback <laughs> and like someone <laughs> someone shooting at this guy on in an action movie. Ryback's hitting the hostage cars. Ryback! <laughs> I'm not sure. Right, so that's three one. Is that right? Three one. Die Hard in a sports stadium. Oh, Batman! That one with Bane. I've I've never heard of this film, so I doubt you guys. In a sports. Be Is it recent? Nineteen ninety-five. So no. Oh, never mind. Something called Sudden Death. All right, Alan. I know you know the name of this film. <laughs> Die Hard on an airplane again. Air Force One. Nope. Snakes on a plane. Nope. I mean, these might all be correct answers, <laughs> but I'm looking for one specific film. Ooh. Uh, Would it help, Alan, if I I mention that <laughs> it got uh, featured in an episode of the old Ricky Gervais show on oh, XFM? Oh, um, ooh, um I think not, the gift given away. Yeah, yeah. Carl it's, not, uh, it's not the fireman one. Um, <laughs> ladder ladder forty nine. <laughs> It's, not, it's, not, it's not Stephen King's Rose Red. <laughs> Rose Red. <laughs> um, oh, God. I'll tell you what I found while I was clearing up, Rick. Because I know it's not a big movie this week. We normally give away a big movie. Uh, I was moving house this week and yeah. I found a video that you're more than welcome to if you're a fan. Bert um, no, it stars Kurt Russell. Executive decision. <laughs> I've got that to give away if you're interested. Uh, Executive decision with Steven Seagal in a uh, cameo as well. So uh, oh, I think it's I think it's on TV this week, Rick. So if you miss it this coming <laughs> Friday, you don't tape it this Friday. Well, here it is on video. Bring Vickers. it in because I think Carl's excited about that. I think Carl would like to win that, There's wouldn't he? Great prizes well, there. How about if you Executive decision. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Die Hard in Alcatraz. 
Oh, Escape the rock. The rock. Well done, Calvin. <laughs> oh, of course, the rock. Oh shit! Why did I not think of that? Damn it. Die Hard. In a prison plane. Con Air. Con Air. Well done, Calvin. Oh, yes. Right. You're drawing I said that, that exact same time in Pulled my ears. No, I think I think it beat you. I I definitely said it much quicker in my. <laughs> Die Hard. On the U.S. president's plane. Yeah, Force One. one. Oh, <laughs> I think that was Calvin. I said that exact same time again. Am I going to delay here or what? Maybe. No, I, I I heard you say it l- l- uh, later than me. <laughs> I, said it, we, I said it about ten minutes ago. So I don't know All right, so Calvin's winning, Alan. You're gonna have to try and pull yes. this back. Right, fingers on buzzers. Die hard on a cruise ship. Speed two. Speed two. That was you, Alan. That was Alan. Yeah. Oh, it's four Damn. all. All right. This is tense. It's like a diehard <laughs> diehard in a podcast right now. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds like a Kevin Smith film. <laughs> that does sound like a Kevin Smith movie. Yeah, there's the diehard in an Alcatraz film again called Half Past Dead, but I'm not going to expect you to know that. Uh, oh, I would have got that as well. <laughs> Ooh, all right. Die Hard in the White House circa 2013, directed by Roland Emmerich. <laughs> Oh, the, it's the White Eagle House has down. Fallen. It is White House down. <laughs> what's oh, what's the other one? That's one exactly them. same thing. Eagle down. I don't know. It was. A, it was. Yeah, there were two of them, weren't there? Olympus has fallen. Olympus has fallen. That's what it was. I think that's the good one, isn't it? I don't know. I've seen one of them. Oh no, White House down is the good one. That, I mean, that's everything on that list. So I think that means Calvin's one. Is that right? I think. <laughs> Let him have it. He needs it more than me. What about Die Hard in a body? Ooh, Ooh. Like the Fantastic Voyage. Yeah. Or I know Inner Space is the one I'm thinking of, but he's not like, he's not being attacked in the body. He's just in someone's body. Hmm. Ooh. Mm. You know what? Mentioning Kevin Smith before. Yeah. You you know what his original uh, sequel for More Rats was meant to be? Die Hard and More. Die Hard. Yeah. Ah. Paul Blart, Cop, that is what it was called. It was called <laughs> More Rats Two: Colon Die Hard in a Mall. <laughs> Very similar to the naming convention he's used for his upcoming film Moose Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> moose colon Jaws in a moose. <laughs> <laughs> Jaws in Canada, or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, then Paul Blart, Mall Cop, did it and. You know what? It's weird we've never... Well, not we. Weird I've never seen Paul Blart Malkoff. It feels like I should have seen that film. It's weird we haven't seen it, Alan. It feels like I should have made us watch that when we lived together in London, along with all the other, like... You know, I used to get us, like, dreadful films to watch. Like, Little, little Man and... Uh, My Five Wives. Firehouse Dog. <laughs> hey, uh, why don't you meet me for dinner at the Amazon Cafe? Today. Okay, just relax. What I say? God, I hate cats. God, I hate cats. They're useless. Did you ever hear of a seeing eye cat or watch cat? No. Wow. Oh yeah. <laughs> Have we got anything else original to say? Well, so what we're trying to come up with sequels. So uh, we need to figure out somewhere to put it. I I say we get because we're going back to basics with this, right? So we're gonna get a classically trained British actor to play the villain, but they're gonna do it as a foreign accent voice funny voice what about die hard in a time machine die hard through time and they go back to the first film and see <laughs> events from different angles Ooh, very metal tie up some of the loose ends they love all that mm. shit you know what happens to argyle now because uh 
<laughs> some postmodern. He was busy helping future John McClane in the past. <laughs> yeah, you get the com- they get the computer guy who survives from the first film. Yeah, and he's going back in time. He's built a time machine. <laughs> he's going back in time to fix it so that he gets away. Instead of spending thirty, the last he spent the last thirty years in prison. This is bad. the the thesis of it gets bigger every time. Then, so it's gone international, and now it's We've gone, gone <laughs> transcending the third dimension, fourth the dimension. fourth dimension. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, that's how it works. I can't. I'd I'd like the opening scene to be something like John McClane's like finally getting the hang of a fax machine, <laughs> and then someone bursts in, like John, John, the time machine. It's like, oh, <laughs> damn it. Can we get Joseph Gordon-Levitt in to play young John McClane? Yeah. So do you know what's going to happen? You've done all this already? As me? I don't want to talk about time travel. Because if we start talking about it, then we're going to be here all day talking about it, making diagrams with straws. Oh, yeah. With like a dodgy prosthetic forehead on. Oh, but yeah, this is like Demolition Man, isn't it? Where you have to, like, the old-fashioned cop, you have to drag him out to, uh, because we need old-fashioned methods. And so they're like, look, this criminal has been sending us faxes. Nobody knows how a fax machine works. And he's like, don't worry. <laughs> I know this. It took me 10 years to work it out, but I've got it now. So no, we, we do need a new villain, though. The obvious thing is you have another member of the, the Gruber family coming back. Which Benedict Cumberbatch. I was going to say, which I would love, but I think I think it's too obvious. You just want, you just want someone like Benedict Cumberbatch playing like a Russian... Who who is the modern equivalent of Alan Rickman, Jeremy Irons, Tom Hiddleston, uh, someone who's kind of their voice is kind of down here. But yeah, probably came through like real legit theatre and did little indie films where there's lots lots of sex and stuff. And that's Mike, sort of Michael like, Fassbender. Classy. He's got a deep voice. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I think he's a bit too mainstream already. Mm. Yeah. But definitely that kind of like yeah, he feels like he's legit somehow. Um mm. like he's a bit well classy. You need someone who's done Shakespeare, really. I mean that's what you need. So that's what yeah. uh, that's what you want. The thing is Michael Fassbender's actually got his German heritage and all that shit, hasn't he? So I, I don't know if I like that. I want someone who's not remotely German. <laughs> what about uh what let's get let's get is it Daniel Brule, is that his name? Oh yeah. Let's get him to play a British villain. <laughs> too young, too oh right. That'd be good actually. So basically our conclusion is there's no more original diehard ideas. Yeah, I mean it's it's just it's it's impossible to do it well or properly. So I think the only way to do it is to kind of go full self parody, self referential, in which case you do in space or time travel. I like the time travel back to the original plot and go in meta on it. And you get you get someone like you get like a weird sort of someone who looks a bit like Bruce Willis then, but it's not quite enough, so they have to keep filming him in the shadows and like from behind and stuff. <laughs> It'd be great. Yeah, I don't know. I, I do I'm I do think there's probably a way to just about make it work as like a proper not that work, but to make like a proper diehard sequel work. I think you could maybe get one more out of it. But then I don't know, because I, I, I happen to think Die Hard 3 works really well, but it, it, it works mm-hmm. really well because it's something completely new with... Yeah, they reinvented the it. ...character. Yeah. It's not just Die Hard in a, an XYZ. It's a completely different thing. It's this, like, Saw-esque 
you know, figure out these weird little riddles and solve things. So, you know what? I mean, again, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but one of the things Die Hard is notorious for is basically every time Fox has a leftover script, like, that they're developing, Mm -hmm. and it's not going anywhere, Die Hard always swoops in and goes, oh, we'll make that, we'll just change all the names and call it Die Hard. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't Die Die Hard Three was written as a Lethal Weapon. Um, yeah, sequel originally. I think I, ah. no, I, I think it was originally just a standalone film called Simon Says, and then it. I mm, think they started retooling it for Lethal Weapon. And then it never happened. And then it got turned into Die Hard Three, and Die Hard Four was based on a like an article about <laughs> like tech <laughs> terrorism or something. How people could hijack <laughs> computers. Like it's. It says in the opening credits, like, based on the Wired magazine article or whatever <laughs> magazine it is, which is just weird. But <laughs> I, I think that was being turned into a standalone action movie and they just stole the the film again. I, I think they've done that more than those two times. They're the two I'm mm. aware of. Um, mm. Well, the, like, the, the first film is, like you say, we sort of retooled from a novel. And, the, and even yeah. like the second film was just retooled from the script for Die Hard. <laughs> I I there's got to be a script lying around Fox now that we can just read. <laughs> like maybe one of the one of the Avatar sequels that they've written. What what's so you're a, doing Die Hard in space? What do you reckon Fox have got that they're sitting on at the minute? Uh, oh, they've got that Neil Blomkamp Alien film that they're not doing anything with. Mm. Let's retool they that. They probably have a draft of an Alien versus Predator three somewhere. Yeah yeah yeah. Let, Alien versus Predator three. There you go. Let's retool that. John McClane versus Alien versus Predator. They're all Fox properties. <laughs> It'd be actually really it good worked. fun to watch him going up against Predator. <laughs> Similar kind of concept. Yeah, no, I'm alright with that. <laughs> Fuck it. Let's do yeah, it. Fair enough. So yeah, I think we've established we can't do this properly. So <laughs> do a stupid one. But I'll tell you what, I was going to say, it's set at Christmas, isn't it? So, opening shot, there's a snowman, and Predator is like really confused because it's not showing up in the heat vision. <laughs> it walks right into it. Yeah. He's like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go. You know what, guys? Is this the end of. Are we calling it a day? Is this here? the end? Because the is film the just end? finished <laughs> and the credits are rolling. Mm, so we've timed it timing. absolutely perfectly, if that's the case. Really? Yeah. Mm, I'm gonna look that's at the, pretty good. Yeah, the film, two hours, four minutes in. Mm. I guess we should keep talking all the way till the very end of the credits and then just... Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> get the full... Oh, the... no, I never stay for the credits, though. Baby, it's cold outside. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> we could sing that. I'm just trying to get us all to join together and to try to make this somewhat Christmassy, but maybe like Die Hard, this isn't really a Christmas special, and people will be debating about it. <laughs> I don't know, there's definitely been Christmassy elements to it. Mm. I think it's been quite superficial I don't know, but was, was the true elements. spirit of it Christmassy? We released it at Christmas. Mm. Oh yeah, Just actually, about two days more Christmassy than Die Christmas, Hard. Oh, Eli to Will got a special thanks for helping make the film. Colour by Deluxe. Not Technicolor. No. Die Hard. Oh, we haven't we haven't mentioned, by the way, what an exceptional title Die Hard is for a film. <laughs> it's a mm. great name for a film. Die Hard. 
Well, that's it. It's like it, it barely really means anything, but it just <laughs> utterly evokes the right tone and sense of what the mm-hmm. film's about. It, it's great. I love stuff like that. Anyway, that's the end of the film. I've gone yes. to the Denmark copyright page on the, the Fox DVD. Anyway, I need to go to the toilet, so... All right. Well, we can wrap up. All this eggnog's gone Wrap up me. presents for Christmas. <laughs> yes. Wake up, everyone. It's Christmas. There you go. We promised it for three years, I think, and we finally did it. Die hard. Merry Christmas to the one, the only Tom O'Fallows who provided this episode's special Christmassy opening theme. Thank you once again, Tomo. Merry Christmas to all you listeners. Happy Hanukkah, Crazy Kwanzaa, Tip Top Tet, all that jazz. Next week we'll be doing our big review of the year 2018 roundup, so do come and listen to that, hear what we've thought of the films this year. And as ever, you know, please, please tell everyone around Christmas what a great show this is. Tell them to listen and, you know, go to the website, dimreturns.com, you know all this stuff. You know it. Uh, thanks again for listening. Here's to yet another year of diminishing returns. Christmas is the greatest time of year. But to enjoy it most, we need to get out of bed. It only comes round once a year. There is snow outside with some Your ass.